moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Level Up Show with Edward Vermalis, where I will be bringing on experts that have their own level up experiences to share so you can start to level up both personally and professionally. We'll be digging into their biggest successes and failures that have gotten them where they are today. Let's do this. Here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Level Up Show. Today, my guest is Dr. Jim, and he is a startup and growth acceleration-focused sales leader who has a passion for all things related to talent strategy. He's really skilled at developing a theory and putting it into practice. He's obsessed with getting in front of the right customers with a relationship-first approach, and his doctoral research is on why people join and leave companies. Jim, listen, you're the first person with doctor in front of their name that I've met in the sales sphere, and I really want to get into your sales career and how that started and where that's at today. But I got to ask, being somebody who has been in sales positions and sales leadership positions for a very long time, especially when you decided to pursue that doctorate, what was the reason that you would go this route that most others just don't? I, I don't know if most other people don't do it. I think uh, I've always been in, in sales. Yeah, it, it, even in sales, I think nowadays the premium on sales effectiveness is how much knowledge and expertise and, uh, and, and value can you drive to your potential customer? So back when I started kicking this around, my selling style is heavily focused on market knowledge, industry knowledge, trend knowledge, and business effectiveness. So that's part of the reason why I pursued my MBA. And then I decided to take it to the next level to add even more credibility into my selling approach to the audiences that I was trying to connect with, because I want to apply the sales process in a way where I'm coming at that relationship from a position of equality. I'm not spray and pray amateur sales guy that's just trying to get a minute of your time. I want to actually help you drive your business forward. And that was my go-to market approach even when I was pretty early on. So it was a calculated and intentional decision. And it was relevant to the spaces that I operate in and sold to. So that was the, the short version of why I decided to pursue it. But I think nowadays, to bring that all close together, nowadays, I, I, I think any sales professional that is looking to become elite, you don't necessarily need a terminal degree or anything like that, but you need to be a hardcore student of not only your craft as a sales professional, but also the industry that you serve. And if you're not doing that, the audience that you're trying to sell to isn't going to give you the time of day because they already have enough fires that they're dealing with. So you got to drive that value and credibility from jump. Yeah, that ties in very well with the way that the sales environment has been moving to, especially in the B2B sector for the last however many years. It is much less about the sleek talking Wolf of Wall Street-esque type of salesperson who can talk you into doing whatever they want. It's moved from that to being very consultative, informational, and ultimately, instead of being a persuader, you are a 
you are a source, you're a source of information, you're a source of problem solutions. And in that case, I completely agree. It ties in super well. The reason why I asked the question in such an interesting, curious manner is because sales has traditionally been like the one profession where guys can go with a high school diploma and end up making a pretty good living for themselves. And I know you'll have a lot of lot to say about this particular fact since you've been very involved in talent strategy when it comes to sales. But a lot of times it is actually not a bad idea. And this is me talking my experience. I don't have the stats for this, but this is also what I've heard from sales leaders. It is a good idea to hire people who are dedicated to sales simply because they want a better life for themselves, but they don't exactly have the educational background to craft that type of lifestyle in a different profession simply because they are people who are going to be dedicated they're going to be motivated and they are ultimately going to put in the hours which is a big part of which is a big part of succeeding in sales that's a good point edward i think the one area where i, I would challenge you a little bit is that i don't want people to confuse my position in saying hey you need to be highly credentialed to be successful in sales and actually my position is that I'm a big ass nerd. So it, it wouldn't have mattered where I ended up. I probably would have gone this route just because I, I'm constantly looking to learn stuff. But when we're talking about sales effectiveness, sales success, I absolutely agree that a lot of companies shoot themselves in the foot by requiring degrees and advanced degrees in most sales roles. Unless you're in a highly technical sales function, what is a degree going to give you that's going to make you effective in sales? And you're right to your point about, hey, it's important that we hone in on why that person is picking sales as a function. The need to create a better life for themselves, that hunger, those are all competencies that I, that I look for when I'm interviewing candidates. Actually, I would even say the biggest thing that I look for in general out of anybody that uh, I'm hiring is intellectual curiosity. An effective salesperson, an effective sales professional needs to be curious about the person that they're sitting across from, needs to be curious about the industry that they serve, needs to be curious about the problems that that person's encountering, and needs to be able to dig to a level that satisfies and gives you full visibility into the landscape of that customer. Because only when you reach that level are you equipped to actually solve anything for them. And I think that is the critical competency that every successful sales person needs to be able to demonstrate in the hiring process and then be able to deliver and execute when they're out in the water. Would you say that it's also a big part in the recruitment process for salespeople to understand if their previous experience is relevant as a actual intellectually curious salesperson or an order taker? Because in a lot of companies that have a heavy inbound flow and that might sell services or products that are a little bit more transactional, there's a lot of top performers that just don't translate well to that type of environment. Because in all honesty, all they've been doing is they've been order takers. They've been listening to what people want, giving them exactly what it is on a hot plate and just going about their day. It's tough to decipher. And that's one of the things that I worked really hard at in the roles where I was building a team. I'm in a team building function right now where I'm actually hiring for my, my organization and trying to build that up. 
and getting to the the point of understanding how have they sold before? What was their process like? How did they actually diagnose what's going on in the environment? All of your interview questions should be behaviorally aligned to uncover that. And, and a good way to get to that point is just talk in general about, hey, when is the last time that you actually encountered something that you weren't familiar with? And how did you figure that out? So that gives you some behavioral cues in into how they're wired. So are they going to YouTube it? Are they going to look in the documentation of the particular thing? Are they going to ask their peers about, hey, how do you work this? Are they going to go to different communities to try to put themselves into the environment where actual users exist and figure that stuff out? So that's one way to do it. And to your point of how do you vet that out between an order taker to an actual solutions engineer? It's real easy to say, here's the scenario. I'm at company X. We sell this product. You're the SDR or you're, you're the account executive. And I call in and say with a demo request. And I say in the demo, I'm interested in this product. And if that person and you're tasking that person with okay, walk me through what you would do in that scenario. If they're not starting with an opener that says, hey, I want to better understand your business and really understand why you're even interested in looking at us as a solution and drilling down from there, then you're dealing with somebody that's an order taker versus somebody that is a solutions engineer. And I use that term in a generic way that you don't need to be like highly technical, but you need to be able to dig in and understand what the problem is. I love the terminology solutions engineer. I will be totally using that one to confuse people in my social circle. <laughs> but yeah, so it sounds like you have a really, really analytical mind about this. And I haven't known you for long, Jim, but you are a very articulate guy. Was that Part of the reason why you went into sales, even though you were already pursuing higher education. I don't know how I ended up in sales. Let me wind that back. If I really think about it, I was always in the business space. I'm probably one of the only Indians on the planet that is not good at math. So that whole trajectory <laughs> of being a rocket scientist or a medical doctor or something like that crushed my mom's hopes and dreams because I didn't go that route because I just wasn't good at some of the subject matter that was associated with that track. But I was always a good student. And I always found myself in these positions where I was running business operations. When I was in college, I ran a little painting business end to end. And then my parents bought a business on top of their regular jobs. And I ended up running that and driving results there, both from a revenue and cost control perspective. And these were in my late teens and early 20s. And so I've always found myself in these entrepreneurial setups and gravitated towards client facing. I don't think I could hide off in, in the back corner somewhere crunching numbers. It, it, it would drive me insane. And the reason being is that I like variety. I like complexity. And there's nothing more complex or variable than interactions with other people. So I fell into sales by accident. And my approach to sales is I just find people interesting. I'm always curious about, hey, what's this person's got an interesting story. Let's figure out what that is. How do I get to the point of having them tell me their story and telling me everything that they probably some of the things that they shouldn't tell me? And that's developed over time. And it just so happened I've always been in a revenue function, so it works well. But it's fun. No days, no salesperson ever has the same day. 
You're always dealing with different problems. After a period of time, they might look similar, but there's always some nuance in there that you have to figure out. And that keeps things interesting. And it keeps you uh, keeps you young. It keeps you agile. And, and that, that's all really important to me because I can't sit around and get stale with with the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it's a deep love and appreciation for the human connection. Yeah, that is a requirement. And for me, it's it, 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 I could never imagine doing another job, really, if any other position that wouldn't be either sales or sales management. I just don't think I'd be any good at it because I'd be either bored or way out of my competency. When I found my first sales job, it was like, oh, you guys want me to sit down and talk to people all day and pay me for it? I was like, wow, okay, this is a steal. And I feel like a lot of people get into that, get to sales in that way. They fall into it. And I think that is actually a huge problem. A lot of it is based around stigma. A lot of it is based around just the education system as it is currently not mentioning it as a viable career path. It's really something that people discover as they go into business or as they maybe have friends who go in these type of roles. And one of the things that I'm looking to pivot my content about and one of my content dreams is to try to get more young people into the profession of sales. Because nowadays, with the people who are, you know, graduating high school or college currently, the Zoomers, the Gen Zs, they have a lot of really valuable skills in a sales environment. Because as you said, they we've all grown up Googling our problems. We've all grown up watching YouTube videos on how to solve things. We've all grown up learning how to access information that not everybody is super comfortable, not comfortable, but not super educated in how to access. Plus, everybody's a professional stalker. Everybody knows how to find out information, how to find personalization. That is something that like kids are growing up with since the age of nine or 10 when, you know, or whenever kids start social media nowadays. So... There's a really big sea of talent out there that is currently being underutilized. In your experience, have you hired a lot of Gen Z folk? And I think Gen Z counts until starting from the year 1996. So that's anybody who's 25 right now or younger. Philosophically, from a hiring perspective, I'm a grow your own person. So and and, and actually, my skill set is more aligned with developing that segment of the sales professional population than super senior people, because I I tend to be a higher up the funnel um, person than a back end of the funnel person. I can work end to end, but this is just context. So you you know where my wiring is. So most of my hiring has been in millennial and generation Z, and it'll continue to be in that category. When I talk to people about sales, I deconstruct a few different things. Like my expectations, I, I, I struggled with how you're quote unquote supposed to be in sales because it was completely opposite my natural way of going out in the world. Because when I was coming up, it was you have to be this big personality. You have to be the person that is just like all eyes are on me, um, center of attention and that sort of stuff. And I'm an extrovert, but I'm not that crazy person. And, and so that's that was just never my style. Where I excel is in smaller groups and really building a strong relationship so I understand what's going on in, in their world and then pivoting to a potential partnership or collaboration down the road. So when I talk to people that are looking to get into sales, I said, look, if you look at any company 
every employee in that company is either in sales or in service to sales. Because without the sales function, the company doesn't exist. Because we are the engine that drives every organization. And when you think about the demographic details or the factors that millennials and Generation Z care about, they want to make an impact. They want to have an influence. They want to change the world. And people roll their eyes at that sort of stuff. There is no better way for you to do that than from the sales function, because you are solving problems at the desk level from the person that's sitting across from you. So you could be the difference between that person getting promoted or that person losing their job. You could be the difference between that startup getting into acceleration mode or that startup failing. I operate from that space and really try to help connect the dots there because that's a compelling story. If you care about making an impact, and that's how I'm wired, then why wouldn't you want to be in sales? There's no other place where you can make a better, bigger impact than helping another organization drive their revenue or control their costs, which could be the thing that separates them from being defunct to being the next unicorn. That was very awesomely put. Really, I had honestly never thought of it in that deep of a level. I always knew that sales is a driving engine, is the driving engine because you can create all the widgets and all the products in the world. If they're not being sold to anybody, then it's going to go out of business the second the funding ends. I want to respond to what you just said about the product side. That's the other part of it too. I never get too far in the weeds on the product side of what function we sit in. Sales as a function, we're a solutions engine. So our job is to solve problems. So it's how do we uncover those problems? And that's why I use the solution and engineer phrase, because somebody that is in that solutions mindset, regardless of, of the level that they're at, what problem do you solve? Who is the owner of the problem? And how do I connect with that person are the three questions that I'm constantly thinking about. And that's the mindset that takes you out of that product mindset and puts you into the solutions mindset, which changes how you interact with people. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It- definitely makes a change. And I think the reason why a lot of salespeople lack confidence in their sales process, especially if they're newer to the whole thing, is because they everybody has their own sort of moral scale and how they see things. And I don't think 99% of people, when they are literally just looking at somebody as a walking wallet, will not feel very good about themselves or their moral standing in that point. And that's going to reflect in your confidence in your sales process. That's going to reflect in what kind of actions you take during the sales process. Because if you're literally all you're seeing are checks and you're not actually thinking about, okay, what does this do for that person? How does this help, et cetera? If you're just saying the right things to get to one result, then you're really not going to be able to be genuine or consistent with anything that you do in the sales process. Because... All you're doing that moment is trying to win for your motives. You know what? You're hitting at something that the sales function has built over time. And it's created this really toxic stew of crap that is really bad for the sales function. We've been conditioned for so long to be greasy and slimy and self-serving. And that's completely opposite of what my expectations are for myself, as well as anybody that I hire onto my team. Because you got to think about it this way. For you to have success, you have to serve the interests of the person that's sitting across from you. You have to do that first. 
And that's rooted in the philosophy of seeking to understand before trying to be understood. There's Andy Paul is a great author and he's a great sales practitioner. Yeah. So you're familiar with sell, sell without sell. That, that is natural to the way that I interact in the world. And that's what I talk about and what I try to teach with all of my teams is if you want to be successful in this role, you need to be able to orient yourself to what's important to that person that's across from you versus what's important to me. And that's how you get to a win-win solution. Because as soon as you start turning in into the conversation or the relationship into what's important to me, you become the persuader versus the influencer and you become adversarial versus collaborative and partnering with the actual person that you're sitting across from. So there are mindset shifts that need to happen in how you approach it, because for whatever reason, it's the prevailing wisdom is that in sales is the only function where you can meet somebody for the first time. And it seems reasonable in the minds of salespeople to ask them to get married. I'm like, wait, where in the world would you do that? Like you would not go out and be in any sort of social setting the first time you meet somebody and ask them to marry you. So where did it come up that's acceptable in sales? That's really what we're doing. Before we're even taking time to understand whether this person is caring about the same thing that we're caring about, what they're trying to solve, we're like, hey, let's get to the deal. That is where a lot of the confidence issues and a lot of the moral ambiguity or the questioning or doubt that junior salespeople have in their minds, it's because they've been conditioned to think that's acceptable and it's completely contrary to the whole concept of human relationships. I am such a big fan of the fact that there is finally a movement, a real legit movement on everything that you just discussed and everything you just said and the same thing that Andy Paul talks about in his book and the the humanization of the sales process and the collaborative nature of it all that is currently be changing the landscape of sales because to backtrack to my previous point about younger people not joining sales teams and not seeing it as a viable career path I really think that this is the solution right here I really think that creating the landscape of sales that everybody is trying to create right now, at least everybody in the B2B sector that's active on LinkedIn and that's within this community that we've created, the sales community of 2022. This is the ultimate way to not only drop the stereotypes from from the sales profession, but also make it a viable and respected career choice. And we can't, we can't really expect this movement and this change to happen overnight, especially because we live in kind of an echo chamber of brands that are very for this type of change. There's always going to be a big part that isn't on social media, that isn't active on all these platforms, that the last thing in their mind is to try to humanize the sales process. They're literally just trying to write bigger numbers on a whiteboard, whatever it takes. But I feel like this is a good thing. And I feel like this really is the solution. For the, for, for, for the problem of sales not being the respected and legitimate profession, at least considered the respected and professional profession that it, that it really can be. I think that is a pathway. But if you look at the broader world of human dynamics, the broader world leadership theory, and you tie it all together, what are people talking about? People are talking about 
trust-based vulnerability. People are talking about authenticity. People are talking about transparency. These are the things that people talk about in terms of becoming an elite lead in, in, in terms of building elite teams. This is what uh, team dynamics needs to demonstrate within, across, and vertically. So if that's the right way, and it is, if those are the things that are critical to success, empathy uh, are critical to success in those standard business functions and those leadership uh, competencies, doesn't it make sense that as arguably the most important engine of an organization's success or failure that we operate that way in terms of how we engage with our potential customers? That seems like a no-brainer. So when we put it in those terms, how are we going out in the world with authenticity, with vulnerability, with empathy, with transparency? That is core to sales success. And it's critical to sales success without having to sell out. I mean, like the, the people that can't do that effectively, you can watch their trajectory. They'll have between eight and 16 months at an organization. They'll burn all the bridges that they can burn. And then they'll go to the next place and they'll have eight to 16 months of doing that. And it just goes over and over. The people that have actually staying power are the ones that lead with that way. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a guarantee of success, but I, I, I will say that the, the quality of relationships that you will build by doing it that way is going to be much stronger than the what's in it for me approach that historically has been how sales operated in the world. I think as we start to regain buyer trust and... As resources on buyer trust keep getting better and better, because a big part of why this movement is also happening by force is because we live in the age of information and company reputations are everything. It's no longer the time that you can just draft up a comp company from nowhere and then start, you know, prospecting into enterprise accounts just by calling them. Everybody has Google, everybody has review sites. If you've been around and you've done a good job, people are going to know about it. And if you're doing exactly the opposite, everybody's going to know about it twice fold because that type of information just doesn't sit anymore. So it's a really need to change. You're completely right. I guess the last thing I want to ask you, because I know that you're very into the talent development space mm -hmm. for everybody knows the classic things that a successful salesperson should be, including emotional, I'm sorry, intellectual curiosity that you mentioned before, which is pretty much the number one factor. What are some of the more little things that people can work on and salespeople and aspiring salespeople can work on that can ultimately help them land better roles and advance their career faster? So if we're talking about sales effectiveness and success acceleration, say that five times fast, it's really a short list. Intellectual curiosity, we already covered that. But the other thing that is critically important, and this comes from a book that I read years ago, and I think it's absolutely true. The author is Chet Holmes. And, and I forgot the exact title of the book, but one of the light lines in his book was for you to be successful in sales, you need a PhD, pig-headed discipline. And it's absolutely right. Because you have all of these different methodologies, you have all of these different processes, you have all of these different theories, and you should absorb all of it. But in the end, you need to have pig-headed discipline about the core blocking and tackling of the job, which is you need to be prospecting every day. Regardless of how successful you are as a sales professional, you need to have at least a block or two every single day where you are prospecting and filling the top of the funnel. You need to be able to 
study the trends in your industry. You need to study the target buyer that you're trying to get in front of and what's important to them. So that again, feeds your prospecting and then be able to be disciplined every single day across those things. If you're not filling the top of the funnel, if you're not reaching out to the rest of the funnel, and if you're not studying your craft on a daily basis, you're not going to be successful. And that's really the recipe. It's I obsess about how to get in front of people. It's part of the reason why I'm pretty good at getting in front of anybody that I want to get in front of because this is the golden age of information. There hasn't been a time where the volume of information that's out has been available and accessible for, for people to figure stuff out. So with that amount of information, there's really very little reason why you should struggle in connecting on a personal level with somebody that you're trying to get in front of and bring them in and collaborate with them on something that advances their agenda. So to your question about what's the recipe for success, curiosity is there and then discipline around the core critical success factors of sales. You got to prospect, you got to do outreach, you got to build authentic relationships, and you got to make your prospect the star of the show. And you do that over and over again and you create this flywheel of relationships that eventually leads to a volume of hand raisers that come to you first with a question or problem that they have that you have the first opportunity to try to solve. Big head of discipline. I absolutely love it. That's a good note to leave it off on. Thanks for joining me, Jim, today. Thanks for joining everybody. And until next time, thanks for sticking to the end. That means that you're serious about leveling up. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write a review and share the show with your friends. If you're interested in starting your own podcast or guesting on more top-rated podcasts, head over to salescast.co-ed to get your free podcast strategy call. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.